Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that panders to the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including airbag recall, millions of Australians ordered to have deadly defects removed from their cars. We give an update on two of these major issues, including the Takata airbag recall and the Volkswagen Dieselgate, as court cases are starting in Australia. We road test the iconic Nissan GTR Nismo, and in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a mirthful look at some quirky news stories, including the mullet fest in the Australian town of Curry Curry. It is a fashion statement, so what sort of car and car memorabilia should you have taken to it? Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au and you can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. The federal government has announced a compulsory recall of close to 4 million vehicles nationwide to have potentially deadly airbags replaced, including 850,000 German-made cars that had previously avoided the safety campaign. This is the first compulsory recall in Australian automotive history. The airbags have been associated with 20 deaths globally, including one death in Australia last year. The faulty Takata airbags inflators contained a defect that can cause them to explode which could propel shrapnel into drivers and passengers. Cars on the compulsory recall list include various models that have already been subject to a voluntary recall, including Toyota, Mazda, Honda, BMW, Chrysler, Lexus, Mitsubishi, Nissan, Subaru and several others. But models from other manufacturers that had previously not been identified in the voluntary recall will also be subject to the compulsory recall. Among the new manufacturers on the list are Ford, GM Holden, Mercedes-Benz, Tesla, Jaguar, Land Rover, Volkswagen, Audi and Skoda. Last year the ACCC issued a voluntary recall on the 60 types of cars sold in Australia that use the faulty airbags. All defective Takata airbags will need to be replaced by December 31, 2020. Last year Takata admitted to hiding evidence about the defect in the inflators. The company pleaded guilty to fraud and agreed to pay a $1.3 billion penalty for concealing a deadly defect in millions of its products. Mercedes-Benz parent company Daimler has announced that the chairman and majority owner of China's Xijiang Jili Holding Group has acquired a 9.69% stake in the company. According to Daimler, Li Shufu's investment in the company makes the Chinese billionaire its single biggest shareholder. The investment is thought to have cost almost $11.5 billion. It is rumoured that Geely has been seeking an alliance that will see Daimler share its pure electric car technology. Beginning life back in the mid-1980s as a refrigerator manufacturer, Geely hit the headlines in 2010 when it purchased Volvo from Ford. Since then, its buying spree has continued with the purchase of a controlling interest in Lotus Cars and its ongoing deal to purchase a larger stake in Malaysian car maker Proton. 
Geely also bought the maker of London's iconic black cabs and then purchased Terrafugia, the American startup developing flying cars. Investigators probing US models of Mercedes-Benz sold with diesel engines have discovered software that helps them pass emission tests. Such software may be similar to that used in nearly 600,000 vehicles sold by VW, Audi and Porsche in what became the Volkswagen diesel admission scandal. Different VW Group vehicles were fitted with defeat device software that detected testing routines and controlled emissions more aggressively than in regular use. It has not been confirmed whether or not the Mercedes-Benz software is illegal under EPA rules. Mercedes-Benz pioneered the use of diesel engines in passenger vehicles as early as 1936, but for the 2018 and 2019 model year, Mercedes has withdrawn all diesel variants from its US lineup, citing reduced buyer interest. That leaves BMW as the sole German maker offering diesels to US customers. A trial of speed bumps on shared bike and pedestrian paths will be launched shortly in high traffic areas in Perth in a bid to get cyclists to slow down. The WA Department of Transport says that as cycling has risen in popularity, the department has seen a lot more conflict between walkers and riders. The height and spacing of the speed bumps still needs to be finalised, but the department is expected to roll out a trial along a bike path in the not-too-distant future. The features will have warning lights at night and will be clearly signed. And still in the West, the Perth Transport Authority will consider adopting facial recognition technology after reviewing the success of a live trial on the Gold Coast's public transport network during the forthcoming Commonwealth Games. It was recently revealed that visitors to Perth's new Optus Stadium could be monitored by the same high-tech facial recognition cameras that are used at the SCG. Facial recognition technology is already available and being used in some countries to look at pedestrian movements. Analysis shows that pedestrian trips are much more complex than we once thought. The Australian Road Research Board has been analysing a number of major road corridors to show the relationship between roughness and road safety. From its research, it has found that the new highway was the obvious place to start improving road roughness. It is believed that smoothing the road surface will make a positive, substantial change. Treating those sections of the major freight corridor, which links Queensland and Victoria via Dubbo, could drive down accidents by as much as 43%. And that has been the news. And now let's talk about a few issues that are prominent in the media at the moment. The Takata airbag problem. This is where Takata airbags have the propellant which forces the airbag out at a very fast speed, but it deteriorates over time, particularly in areas of high humidity. And the airbag can then deploy with a small bump, but in an ineffective way that leaves bits of metal as part of the airbag coming out. It acts like shrapnel. Now, the first death was recorded in America in 2009. Tragically, it was a young student, Ashley Pranam, who was 18 years old and had just graduated. She bumped another car in a car park. The airbag went off. When she was taken to hospital, they thought she'd been shot. 
After much toing and froing, it has now been thought that 20 people have died worldwide because of this problem. In Australia, some car companies did not make a voluntary recall because their Takata airbags were made in a different factory to the ones that were thought to be a problem. Uh, That was ones that were in Japan and Mexico. But now it is accepted that it is a design problem, not just a manufacturing problem in certain places. And the Australian government has issued a compulsory recall. For some companies that will not change other than the process will be monitored more and there will be specific deadlines. For others it means cranking up a system to get the parts replaced. Now this is not a problem that will be solved overnight. There is over 100 million cars worldwide that need to have a new airbag put in. And the ACCC in Australia has set a deadline of the 31st of December 2020. So sourcing replacements is not going to be easy. In some cases, it's almost worth the time putting in another Takata airbag, a like-for-like situation, because they are new and the problem doesn't appear to at least four, maybe six years later. Of course you will have to get that replaced again, but it is better to have a new one in now rather than an old one. Companies such as Mercedes, who did not originally have a recall, are now progressing with that and they won't be doing a like-for-like arrangement. Some companies are not affected at all. The Korean companies, Hyundai and Kia, have never had airbags from the Japanese supplier, which may be a reflection of a long-term geopolitical history as much as commercial decisions. The airbags that they are now replacing, there will be a priority based on the geographic area. Areas with a higher humidity will be done ahead of those that are not. The age of the vehicle and whether they are what is deemed to be alpha Takata airbags. Those are airbags that were made very early and are the worst example. There's not necessarily a lot of them around but they represent a case that needs to be replaced as soon as possible. The company Takata was actually a woven cloth manufacturer, and I believe they were previously involved in the manufacturing of parachute straps and sashes, which is an interesting history. They did admit that they had falsified results from testings of their airbags, but they have also filed for bankruptcy in the middle of 2017. The company, I believe, has been sold to KSS. Now, car manufacturers still have to fix the problem, but now they may not be able to claim anything back from the original supplier. What has happened with the compulsory recall is highlighting the fact that car companies can't always readily find the cars. They've been sold, some have been scrapped. This has highlighted the point that consumers should go and find out if their car is affected. You can go to the government website, productsafety.gov.au, and that will have a full list. This is Overdrive across Australia. One of the other issues that is progressing at this time is the VW diesel gate problem. It takes the next step in Australia with a federal court case getting underway on the 5th of March. 
In September 2015, VW admitted to having installed software in vehicles with a certain diesel engine that recognised when the car was being tested for pollution levels, and the computer program then adjusted the exhaust process to show lower pollution levels than those that would be achieved in normal operation. This could be done because the tests are very clearly defined, with engines being sent through a series of running at specific revs. No real-world situation would be so consistent. Now, Australia's ACCC are pursuing Volkswagen in Australia, and several legal firms are running class actions on behalf of the customers. The court case will hear from all parties at the one time. There are two stages of court proceedings. The first stage, which will run for about three weeks starting on the 5th of March, is to determine some legal issues. Volkswagen is saying that they did nothing wrong in Australia because our requirements are less stringent than America and the vehicles legitimately passed when they were tested. Their opponents will claim that they willingly and knowingly took actions to mislead the consumer. If Volkswagen in Australia is deemed to have a case to answer, the second stage of the legal process, which will happen next year, will hear claims for financial loss of customers and punitive damages. Those are penalties that exceed simple compensation and are awarded to punish the defendant. How did this happen in the first place? Well, there are a lot of reports about Volkswagen's internal culture at the time, which was management demanding the impossible and firing people who did not reach the targets. Quality management says that if you set targets, people will reach the target no matter what the cost to the company. Soon after they had admitted what they had done, the CEO of Volkswagen, Martin Winterkorn, resigned and there was talk of a fresh start. You're listening to Overdrive. And now a road test. I was wandering around the house the other day dressed like an old man. I had shorts and a t-shirt, not a pretty sight. I don't think I had long socks and sandals, but I could have. And so I wasn't really the flavour of the month with the family. I was an embarrassment to them. But then I bought home this car, the Nissan GTR. And I must say, I'm back in the good books. This is an iconic vehicle. They've been building it for 10 years or so, and it has improved over that time, but the basics still remain. It's a two-door coupe. There is a second row of seats, but it's hard to get into, and there is no legroom. They call it Godzilla, perhaps with good reason. It drives well and handles wonderfully, although the ride is particularly firm. Now, the base model costs about $200,000. The one we had costs about $300,000. It's the upmarket Nismo model, which has been tweaked by the Nissan Motorsport Company. It has more power and a lot of carbon fibre, including a big wing on the back. It has a 3.8-litre twin-turboed V6 and this model puts out 441 kilowatts, which is about 10% more than the supercharged V8 Jaguar. And it has 652 newton metres of torque. That is a very large amount. It sounds beautiful. It's not straining. It's certainly strong. But it's not just a big Detroit V8 that has power because of its size. It is engineered to perfection. In fact, the engine is put together 
by hand by one person and their name is inscribed on the engine. It is noisy and our observer, our colleague, says that it has three levels of comfort ride. Rough, very rough and teeth shattering. Would I have one? Well, I'd have one to use occasionally, but not every day. When I did use it, it would be sheer delight. It costs a lot of money, another factor why I won't be having one, but gee, if I could, I would. It is Japanese engineering that has outperformed many a sports car with a much more prestigious name. The Nissan GTR Nismo is available at over $300,000. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, we now come to that part of the program where we discuss matters in a more light-hearted way. And on the line to help me do this, I have Brian Smith. Gay Brian. Hello, David. And Errol Smith. Gay Errol. Hello, David. Last week we talked about the Super Bowl car ads. We've now put together a video which is available on our website which shows the ads and includes most of our conversation. Errol, when we were trying to transcribe our conversation, the system gave Errol Smith as Aerosmith. <laughs> I thought it was rather interesting given that we'd been talking about Stephen Tyler who was from Aerosmith. I'm surprised that the, the band Aerosmith is more popular than my name. <laughs> i tell you what, there's a lot more Errol Smiths than there are Aerosmiths, though. Your notoriety is probably spread amongst many people, says someone whose name is David Brown, and listening on is Brian Smith. So I just wondered, gentlemen, whether it was that Google or the Internet or something was linking the two together, that we mentioned Steve and Tyler, Steve and so Tyler. the... Okay. This transcript mis- thing must have made an, a link that wasn't there. How uh, how unusual. Very smart. <laughs> By the way, did you see the NRA, uh, NRA, National Rifle Association, are now saying that God gave Americans, apparently no one else, the divine right to own guns? I'm a bit disappointed <laughs> at that. I thought that God gave Americans the divine right to drive big cars. Well, they supposedly, David, have um, some kind of uh, manifest destiny, and maybe that's it, that they drive big cars and shoot themselves with guns. Okay. And that's their destiny. Kill themselves in a number of ways. A number of different ways. Yeah. Maybe the car companies could link the two together and get involved in prosperity theology. Okay, so that instead of the camel and the eye of the needle, could oh, it okay. be, um, yeah, could it be a car? A Cadillac. A Cadillac through a narrow driveway or something like that. A one-way street. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Brian, you're into transport planning and urban design. Uh, could a Cadillac ever make its way through a Woonoff? <laughs> well, it would, but it would um, it would sort of challenge the whole uh, calmed nature of it, wouldn't it? It would be an offensive to the concept. Woonoff came from the Scandinavian countries. It was uh, the first sign of traffic calming. That's right, the removal of curbs and gutters and things like that to to make car drivers feel uncertain about the space they were going into so they would slow down. Gentlemen, let's talk some quirky news. Uh, an Australian town, a lovely town called Curry Curry, is one of the great towns with a double use of the name, Wagga Wagga, Woi Woi. We have a lot of that, don't we? Uh, but nonetheless, 
Curry Curry is having a mullet fest. It's about 150k north of Sydney, and they are going to honour mullet haircuts in five categories. I believe they think they are the town that created them. Not something that I would boast about, but my point is, what car should you drive to get to the mullet festival? What would be the appropriate accoutrement in terms of your motoring choices? It has to have a ridiculous rear end. So I think anything with a gigantic oversized <laughs> spoiler on the back of on the you know on the boot is uh, the way to go. I, I would have thought the, the Bogan cars were for mine the sort of uh, Holden panel vans and the and the Valiant Charger. The Valiant Charger is a, a good mullet car. I think you'd see people in a mullet in that or an XD Falcon. You see, that'd be totally appropriate with very narrow tyres, wouldn't it? This is Errol's point. Yeah. You have it sort of thin on the side and long on the back. Because what, what's the description of the mullet? It's, it's, um, it's business up front, party down the back. So I think this is where a, uh, you know, a panel van perhaps is um, the most appropriate <laughs> mullet vehicle. Because, you know, you, you sort of, it's about transport in the front, yeah. but it's something else at the back. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And, and the attire and things that you go with, the singlet with the sleeves cut out or is it yeah, singlet yeah. with a little bit of sleeve and a packet of cigarettes <laughs> shoved up shoved, yeah. shoved up thing cigarette, cigarette mm. behind the ear because you save a few seconds in smoking and uh, probably some um, some of that sort of muscle person saving a, a damsel artwork on the side or horses horses mm. running yeah i was thinking i was thinking a drag car would would also be a good analogy because it's usually got you know very thin at the front small w- w- wheels at the front you know and and these these ridiculously oversized <laughs> wheels on the back <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay the sort you used to buy um your chewing gum cards i, I immediately thought of the old model t fords you know that are hotted up with huge big wheels mm. on the back the other thing about them is that they often have the engine up the front with those huge superchargers on them so that's like the mullet with the spike bit on the front of the hair uh, i wonder how many of the of the mullet com- contestants still had their license <laughs> I, i'd associate with them with a slightly dangerous behavior perhaps drink driving or something like that so they're going to have to arrive in a bus on a bike <laughs> they'd be on a dragster bike They've pulled out of the shed because they've lost their job. They've got to get to the uh, – got the, sorry, lost their license, got to get to their job. And so they have, they have to take the old dragster. Well, that's the story from Western Australia where the state government ran a campaign that said if you lose your licence, you're a real loser and you'll end up on a push bike, of which the push bike lobby went ballistic. <laughs> But I th- do you know, I think the guy driving it, uh, riding the bike, came close to having a mullet. <laughs> Brian, your story. It is indeed. Now, do you know, David, that um, very recently, uh, the, some surveys done in London in uh, sort of October, November of last year, established that the bicycle is the, gr- the most important um, or the single largest mode of transport counted on city streets during the morning peak hour in London. So, so vehicle use has gone down and cycle use has gone up 
right? Mm. So, so bikes are coming and, and, and people use them to get to work, but they're increasingly being used to deliver things. Now, we all, we've probably all seen the deliver, Deliveroo-style you know, cyclists with a massive uh, a box on their back delivering food to people, mm. and, um, and often they use e-bikes. Well, um, USPS in London is looking at how you might move freight by bicycle, uh, in London, and this makes a lot of sense. Now they've they've developed a big trailer, but the important thing here is that they're not necessarily towing the trailer with an electric bike, but it's a power-assisted trailer. So it's a four-wheel trailer. It looks a little bit like the kind of trailers that, or, or little buggies that um, American children carry around. So it's sort of like a flatbed or a Ute-style body with four wheels, and it has an electric motor with a hub uh, attaches into the um, to the back of the bike and basically you can pedal it along and it'll help move the the parcels and of course when they're then delivered to uh, a logistic center then uh, bicycles and um, people on foot can um uh, can deliver them so I, I think this is a clever idea david that, that providing the the push from the trailer to help take the load off as long as it doesn't get carried away and long as it knows when to stop Oh, because mm. the bike will say, oh, officer, I went through the red light, but my trailer was pushing me. <laughs> mm. Now, I have heard a, a presentation the other day by Marge Prendergast. Brian, you would know her. She's the lady yes. who's coordinating the Sydney CBD as it tries to cope with the construction of the new tramway. But her role has expanded to include looking at the workings, the practical realities. I love it. It's not just transport ideologies it's actual the practical realities and and brian i i asked a question there and referred to you that we've got to understand things like 30 to 60 percent of the parcel deliveries in london are for private people people getting that delivery that they can't get at home because they're at work yes and the whole notion of the cbd as a working community is the fact that it's also a very personal community as well. Maybe we need to be addressing it in that way. And, of course, the problem with that is that uh, those deliveries, there's an increase in delivery vehicle movements, um, and those deliveries are basically contributing con to congestion. So uh, if they're delivered by bike, so much the better. But I think uh, it might be better to uh, either allow post offices to mm. open at times where a little more um, convenient for CBD workers. All right, gentlemen, next week we will talk about uh, motoring memorabilia or the heritage that we've got with a range of different vehicles and ask the question, what is a memory really worth? But for now, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. See you, David. That's Errol Smith and Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.